0: NAFTA 2.0 is in the works, and how it fares could well determine the future of U.S. trade agreements for years to come. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. We've gone back to the drawing board with the North American Free Trade Agreement among the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. The Trump administration has targeted the 23-year-old treaty for major revision, calling it unfair to U.S. companies and workers. Others agree that NAFTA is ripe for renegotiation, given big changes in the economic and technological landscape since it took effect. So what can we expect from a NAFTA 2.0? Joining me today is Eugene Laney, head of international trade affairs with DHL Express U.S. He'll talk about what free traders would like to see in a revised agreement, focusing on trade harmonization and the removal of cross-border barriers. We'll also discuss how the new NAFTA might treat digital trade flows, an issue that wasn't addressed in the original agreement yet is crucial to be resolved today. There's a lot at stake here. As Laney points out, the successful conclusion of negotiations could serve as the blueprint for future free trade agreements while reviving public approval of free trade. And failure could have the opposite effect. So here is my conversation with Eugene Laney. Eugene Laney, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, Good afternoon, Bob.
0: What is your early assessment of the way that NAFTA renegotiations are going? How do you think they're progressing from what you see?
1: Well, I think we're moving pretty quickly here. Um, There's an ambitious deadline that's been set by um, all three governments, and I think we're moving – pretty quickly, most of the major topics have been put forward. Those topics that are most important to us, of course, is the area of uh, trade facilitation, trying to reduce some of the costs at the borders, as well as trying to address some of the uh, new economic uh, realities of the digital economy, and as well as trying to get more small and medium-sized businesses into NAFTA. So we're very excited that they're moving forward, and there's a lot of debate, and we, we definitely see that there's some progress being made.
0: Well, certainly I can see that that would be your agenda. I'm wondering how that syncs up, though, with what you understand to be the actual key elements of a NAFTA 2.0 on the part of the negotiators. What do you see as the big issues that are arising right now? Are they in line with your expectations and what you'd like to see?
1: Yeah, so walking in, we have sort of had, I would say, five key elements that we were hoping to sort of get out of NAFTA 2.0. One is, of course, improved trade facilitation. There's a recognition that there are some barriers at at the border of the movement of goods, particularly low-value goods in the form of finding ways to move some of the e-commerce goods that are less than uh, $800 across the border. Canada has a $20 de minimis, which is the uh, level for where you can charge taxes and duties. Uh, Mexico has a $50 de minimis. So we want to sort of raise that up to allow some of the more low-value goods to get across. The second piece is red tape we see that there's an opportunity to create some better standards. A lot has changed over the last 20 years. So if we can improve some of the standards between the three countries, this will make it easier for small and medium-sized businesses to understand how to do business in the three different markets. Of course, the more obvious one is the digital economy. E-commerce wasn't around when NAFTA was created. So there's an opportunity to help small and medium-sized businesses in Canada, U.S., and Mexico to sell uh, not only into the, these three countries, but, but to become more competitive to sell globally and so that would include providing provisions around protecting intellectual property rights protecting the flow of data making sure that there's clear market access in those three uh, markets and then you know, speaking of market access there's the opportunity to have more u.s. firms to be able to sell into mexico They're the Mexican consumers are very uh, excited about having the access to U.S. products and services, so if we can get greater access into Mexican market as well as to the Canadian market, that would help the U.S. firms. But more importantly, a side indirect benefit would be improve infrastructure. If you go to the Canadian border or if you go to the Mexican border, you can see that there's a lack of infrastructure there. So if we're able to create some cost savings for SMEs, corporations, And for the government themselves, we could then reinvest and try to improve some of the border infrastructure that exists right now.
0: Of course, a lot of those things that you mentioned are supposed to be incorporated in NAFTA 1.0. I mean, that was the whole point of NAFTA, was to achieve these trade facilitation efforts. But I guess in terms of what work remains to be done, where do you see the big stumbling blocks in terms of trade facilitation? I mean, you did mention the problem with low-value goods at the border. But where is it falling short at this moment, and where are the actual – changes that you would like to see that would improve trade facilitation?
1: We would want to see a movement closer to where we can have more harmonization between the customs rules between Canada, Mexico and the US. De minimis is one example. We would love to see an opportunity to have more pre-clearance again if we're at a point where Mexico, Canada, and U.S. can recognize each other's standards as it relates to products when they come into each country, then that creates a seamless process for your shipper. The great example is if I met a gentleman who's selling surfboards into Mexico now, and one of the issues that he's having is that he has has such a low de minimis to sell those surfboards into the U.S., and he's having problems selling those goods. And it's, it really impacts both sides. So you have the SME who wants to sell surfboards to that resort and that surfboard company it's at the tourist location, and you have that Mexican tourist location that wants to take advantage of getting products and services from the U.S., which then promotes its business in Mexico. So there's a win-win when we're able to reduce some of those frictions at the border. So we're really working hard to reduce those frictions in the form of pre-clearance, more harmonization, working to create harmonized standards, making sure that we're in a position to create transparency and really the reduction of red tape when it comes to SMEs as well as even large corporations that are interested in doing business in all three countries.
0: Both the United States and Canada have pre-clearance programs in effect. Does Mexico?
1: We have a number of relationships with Mexico currently. I think in uh, there's three current programs that are going on, but they're more commodity-based. I think there's it's based on electronics and maybe agriculture is the other. I think it's in New Mexico. Um, there's one in California, and then of course there's Laredo, Texas has one. We would like to see an, uh, an advancement of that, an opportunity to have the Mexican and U.S. officials in each other's country, so that we could pre-clear goods. And again, that expedites the process. That make that creates transparency. That keeps the flow of goods, but more importantly, addresses some of the concerns that. Customs authorities have and that's having greater visibility into what's coming into their country so that that could sort of alleviate some of the security concerns, some of the concerns around are we seeing exactly what's in the box. If we have both customs organizations working together to target and and deal with the security issues, I think we can alleviate some of those concerns.
0: But you say you have these individual relationships. It doesn't sound like Mexico has the broader preclearance program that the U.S. and Canada both have put into effect over the last few years. Is that correct?
1: That's an opportunity for improvement, and and they're very interested in learning more about how that's worked for the Canadians and for the U.S. And so I think that's definitely an area where there's common interest in there because Mexico recognizes that they can alleviate some of the frictions at their border, then that would then reduce costs and allow their – Mexican Customs Authorities, to focus more on the unknown shippers. So you have trusted shippers that are out there, then you have the unknown shippers, and if you can spend more time focusing on the unknowns, then that can reduce some of the concerns that you have out there.
0: You talk about the de minimis rule, which I believe is the amount at which items begin to be eligible for NAFTA preference, and they're different amounts with, with the different countries. Would you like to see the same amount? Would that make sense for all three countries to ado- adopt the same de minimis?
1: Yeah, we would love to see the uh, U.S. and the Canadians to go up to $800. Of course, last year Congress passed a law here in the U.S. to raise the de minimis to 800 which was consistent with what an individual or traveler could could bring back into the U.S. without paying taxes and duties. Right now, it's $50 in Mexico and $20 in Canada, we would like to see them move up to 800 We would also like to see Mexico move their informals up to $2,500. Canada and the U.S. agreed to go up to $2,500 for informals. So we would like to see Mexico move up to that level for us. So it's definitely an opportunity to sort of create a level plan field in North America. It would make us more competitive as it relates to how we compete with Asians in the European marketplace. So I think it's a win-win all the way around.
0: One of the biggest sticky points of the original NAFTA related to transportation, specifically trucking and the access of Mexican truckers into the United States, that was sort of solved late in the day. Do you believe that that's still an issue? Is that still on the table?
1: We still have a lot of interest in that issue. It's a very political sort of debate. I remember being involved in this issue for quite some time. I think NAFTA 2.0 provides the opportunity for everyone to sit back down and see what hasn't worked over the last 10 to 15, 20-plus years around that issue, and maybe to find a way forward. I mean, the, the biggest concern, of course, dealt with security. But I think this, again, relates to if we can do more harmonization and more opportunity to get our customs authorities in the same place, then we can work together. Maybe we can alleviate some of those security concerns that were voiced by the folks here in the U.S. as well as in Mexico.
0: Now, you talked about the reforms in digital trade, which were not addressed in the original NAFTA because the technology just didn't exist for it to even be an issue back then. It is, of course, now digital trade flows. What do you hope to see? What do you expect to see out of a NAFTA 2.0 that would relate to digital trade and digital trade flows?
1: Let's use the example again of the gentleman who's selling uh, surfboards. One of the things he's noticed is that he was selling used surfboards, but he said, you know what, I could start selling my own surfboards. And if I can sell my own surfboards into Mexico again, I could help profit. I could then increase my business. But one of the concerns he had was that if I start selling my own surfboard into Mexico, will my patent be recognized there? Will someone steal the data, the information that I'm sending over there? What does this mean as it relates to me getting access to the retailers over there, all of that really rolls into the digital economy. The idea of the movement of information, the movement of products, logistics, housing that data, having access to your consumers that you're trying to sell goods to and that wasn't around back in twenty years ago and so it's a huge issue now because we're really growing within the e-commerce environment where we're having small and medium-sized businesses as well as joe Schmo in his garage figuring out ways to sell it to mexico and canada but the thing that keeps those folks up all night is if they've come up with the new sort of bike pedal or if they come up with the new surfboard or the new way to glue sesame seeds to bagels if they <laughs> sell that into another country Will that country protect their intellectual property? Will they be able to sell it seamlessly without having their data taken away? Are there encryption tools to protect the data that's being sent over there? All of those issues are rolled into that new digital economy, the the movement of information, the movement of, of goods and services, and more importantly, how those goods and services are protected under an IP environment or under a market access environment.
0: Well, true, but intellectual property in and of itself is not exclusively a digital issue, and we've had that issue uh, with manufacturing IP with China for decades. So I'm wondering, had that been an issue among the NAFTA signatories? Were there any concerns over IP, whether including the digital universe or outside of it?
1: I think there's two things. One, there's a recognition that we want NAFTA 2.0 to sort of be a best practice as we move forward and look at other FTA so everything is on the table now so there are a lot of issues that you would say oh it may not be an issue between Mexico Canada and the US but what we're trying to do is create almost a global best practice where we could then take NAFTA 2.0 and say hey this could be an opportunity for us to improve trade between a, U- a US Japan free trade agreement or US and EU free trade agreement so there are issues that are on the table that might not be issues between the US Canada and Mexico but there are opportunities for us to create that global standard that we then can export to other FTAs. And then the second piece of that is that there are a number of issues that have popped up around the digital space. Questions have come up whether software should be taxed or whether certain uh, information should not be encrypted. So there are still some issues that are popping up, and every day we see new issues that pop up in the digital economy because it's so new and fresh. So this is definitely an opportunity for us to address some old issues, create best practices, and maybe address some issues that might hit us down the road.
0: Digital was a big deal in the negotiation of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which, of course, the United States pulled out of, and this is no longer a a part of, but it was a big subject to the point where the TPP signatories came up with what were called the Digital Two Dozen priorities to encourage the free flow of, of digital trade. Could those priorities, maybe even literally the digital two dozen, could could they be ported over to NAFTA in, as a whole? Or do they serve as a good model for us to draw on in building those into a new NAFTA?
1: I think it serves as a good model. I mean, our model for NAFTA 2.0 was pieces from TPP. It was t- pieces from our um, negotiations with the U.S. and the EU, pieces from the services agreement that we're doing with the uh, World Trade Organization, and more importantly, pieces from the trade facilitation agreement, which was signed with the World Trade Organization. So we're really looking at pieces from everything that we've worked on over the last five years to give, give us a sense what might work with this new digital economy, protecting IP, protecting digital trade, protecting cross-border flows, improving trade facilitation, all those pieces that are so important to uh, enhance the digital economy.
0: Based on the progress of the negotiations at this early stage, combined with the statements by various leaders of the three countries as to their attitude toward renegotiation, what do you think will be the biggest potential stumbling blocks to conclusion of successful NAFTA 2.0?
1: Well, if you ask me what keeps me up at night, and that's the ambitious schedule. We're on this track to move very quickly to December. Again, we have the U.S. elections that are coming up next year. We have the Mexican elections. We also have something that hasn't been talked about a lot, and that's the Canadian elections in 2019. So there might be a movement. by The the Canadians may feel that they may want to move slow on things because they don't have their elections until 2019. So I think there's some external political pressures that might impact schedule that we have. And, and the other part of that is how much can you really get in with an ambitious December deadline? And so we want to make sure that we get all of our issues in, but we don't want to put the issues in too quickly that we haven't crossed our T's and dotted our I's and ensured that we've dealt with some of the um, disputes and some of the agreements in a way that at the end of the day it will help both Mexico, U.S. and Canada. So the deadline really worries me, keeps me up at night, but we will keep working and it's and it's great to see that there's a focus on it. There's a definitely a laser focus to address every issue and that's very positive.
0: Well, we in the United States came roaring into this with the idea the administration said to a large extent, well, why don't we just draw some of the elements from TPP why don't we move quickly on this why don't we why start from scratch whereas I got the impression that Canada and Mexico were saying uh, hold on <laughs> we're not necessarily on board with that concept we might want to revisit a lot of these issues from the beginning making it very difficult to meet that deadline even if as you say all three countries are at least on the surface dedicated to the concept of meeting the deadline it sounds like Canada and Mexico might want to delay this a little longer. Do you get that feeling, or is that not a, an accurate read of the situation?
1: What I've read from everything that's come out the last few months is that everyone is definitely moving in a way to address the major issues. There's a recognition that a lot has changed over the last 20 years, and there's a real opportunity to fix some of the problems of the past, as well as the position each country in a way that they're ready for the future. Each country has recognized that this, the digital economy is here and is growing. And there needs to be standards, there needs to be harmonization, there needs to be uh, regulations and legislation to address any concerns that might be born out of this new digital economy. There's also a recognition that politically, it would really, if we're able to fix NAFTA, then that really creates the energy to move towards greater free trade agreements, whether it's a U.S.-EU, U.S.-Japan, or whether it's a Canada wants to do free trade agreements with other countries. Mexico is also interested in doing agreements with other countries. So this has really re-energized the idea of how can countries come together to create global standards that would then advance trade, at the end of the day, provide economic opportunity for all the countries involved.
0: Certainly in theory, but I wondered if you are also somewhat concerned about what appears to be a general public attitude turning against trade in the last few months or year, based in part or fueled in part by candidate Trump's comments on the campaign trail. Basically slagging the concept of trade in some places, talking about unfair trade and even now, even though the administration supports a new NAFTA negotiation, still kind of on the fence about the value of trade in general. And and I'm wondering, do you think public sentiment is there to push this forward or might it serve as an obstacle as well?
1: Well, I think that there has been a rise in in economic nationalism. I mean, we see it all across the globe with Brexit, what we saw in the U.S. elections, we're seeing in in, in Asia and other countries. But again, there's still a recognition that 90-plus percent of consumers live outside your country. So if you're going to grow economically, you need to figure out how to sell goods, how to export goods outside of your country. And the best way to do that is to try to figure out how to open up new markets, how to reduce barriers in trade. And really figure out ways that you can create the next Apple, the next CareFor, the next company that starts off with Joe Schmo in his garage and then becomes this huge 5,000-person company. How that occurs is you selling goods outside of your country. But I say all that to say that that there's still a recognition that you have to take care of home. And I think that's what emerged from Brexit and the U.S. elections is that there were so many people here in the U.S. and the U.K. and other countries that felt like they were left out of that economic revival that occurred through globalization, and they wanted to receive the benefits from that. And so folks like Trump and the folks in the U.K. are working really hard to figure out ways to bring back some those rewards back to communities the suburbs and other communities that were left out of that and i think you see that you see it in places like detroit you see it in ohio where manufacturing is coming back and those men that manufacturing is then selling goods outside of the u.s and you see it where people have who have lost their jobs are now creating companies out of their homes to sell goods all across the globe so you definitely see where communities are starting to take advantage of trade but there's a lot of work for us to do and try to Educate communities on the importance of trade.
0: And despite the fact that certain things might be keeping you up at night, would you describe yourself as an optimist with regard to the future of free trade in general and NAFTA specifically?
1: I'm an optimist. Every time I meet someone who's coming with a great idea that they're selling something on the internet via e commerce, you just can't even imagine some of the um, the great stories that are out there, and you use the internet. And you can sell a good any place across the globe from your home or from your office or from a large corporation. That sort of encourages me that trade is, is headed in a good direction, but we just have to sell the benefits better to local communities.
0: Well, it looks like we won't have to wait too long to find out just a few months ahead before we uh, discover whether this is going to be a successful renegotiation or not. But in the meantime, Eugene Laney, I want to thank you so much for sitting with us and explaining to us some of the uh, fine points of the NAFTA renegotiation and the outlook for free trade in this country. Thank you very much for being with us.
1: Thank you, and I look forward to speaking to you a few months from now when the NAFTA deal is sealed, hopefully.
0: That was my conversation with Eugene Laney of DHL Express U.S., talking about the prospects for NAFTA 2.0. See you next time.